Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Good Hope Productions. Yo, Coach Bob, put me in a game. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unexposed, the semi-scripted podcast where we use sports and entertainment to expose the issue of inequality and give a voice to an often ignored and underserved demographic. Now, it's not all serious talk. There's a lot of fun here. We have conversations, jokes, laughs, and we reminisce about current and old sports and entertainment stories because, hey, we're all one big community here. Now, this is what we do. We use a topic from a scripted scene read by professional actors, followed by commentary with guests who have a special understanding of that particular topic. Hosted by yours truly, former NFL player turned actor, writer, producer, Jarrell Pippins, based out of LA, but from Philly, and co-hosted by the one and only Carl, Coach Bud Patrick, who's a music producer, an inner city youth ambassador, and an assistant football coach at West Philadelphia High School. This is Unexposed. It's Unexposed. It's Unexposed. It's Unexposed. Act one, interior, Corey's apartment, dining room, day. Terrence, 31, is in what's supposed to be his cousin Corey's dining room. However, it is being used as a mini art studio for his beloved craft, the visual arts. Similar to Basquiat, Warhol, or Da Vinci, he is using a paintbrush on his canvas, the way an orchestrator uses their baton to direct music. To his left and right lays his other work full of abstracts that almost resemble colorful cartoons within crazy dynamic color schemes. There is also his fine art selections he has finished that show the vibe of the people and places within inner city Philadelphia. Suddenly there's a sound of a toilet flushing. Then while drying his hands out from the bathroom comes Terrence's little cousin, Corey, 26. Don't go in there for 25 to 45 minutes, big cuz. Terrence turns to acknowledge Corey. Man, what you been eating? Bricks? Nah, that soul food for Miss Tootsie's over on South Street. <laughs> okay, you took one of your joints there, I see. Something like that. Uh, you think you're a playboy? No, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence turns back towards his canvas to continue painting. Hey, man, thanks for letting me hold it down here. You know, me and Michelle are on bad terms right now. She can't really understand how there's a future in visual arts. Corey really takes in Terrence's art and starts to pull out his phone as he walks around and takes pictures and records videos of the artwork. Well, you know, women need that security and stability. Corey keeps recording. Terrence stops and turns to Corey. Hey, well, what are you doing? trying to help you make more money doing this. Now, your Instagram needs some spicing up. You have to share your lifestyle more with how you create and vibe and all. I do put my work up on the ground. Yeah, but your viewers need a more immersive experience. Hey, where'd you learn this stuff? Self-taught. You know, I was always into photography. Then with social media popping off, I guess it turned into cin cinematography mixed with marketing. Corey shows Terrence what he recorded and took pictures of. Oh, okay. Yo, that's fly. Effective immediately, I'm your creative director and social media coordinator. <laughs> okay. Hey, did you just make that up? <laughs> nope. People make a great living doing this for brands. Second, T, we got to put your artwork on display even more. Corey quickly goes to his phone and shows Terrence the entry page for a local art festival. 
we'll get a table at the local art festival. Then I can record you packing up. Then you're set up and you're corresponding with buyers, put some music behind it. Whoa, 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 Corey. My lady just kicked me out. I can't pay for this. You know, I got other bills. I got- No worries. Your brand will be my proof of concept for other potential clients. Ah, so you got it all figured out, huh? Sure do. Now you keep painting while I head out to see one of my ladies. (laughs) This guy. (laughs) Act two, exterior arts festival day. Terrence and Corey stand behind a long desk as Terrence makes his third sale. Set up on the desk are Terrence's abstracts placed on t-shirts, coasters, hats, and hoodies. His fine art paintings are also displayed next to the desk with images of people painted within several areas of inner city Philadelphia. Corey is videotaping and taking pictures from his phone. Several other people are walking by and every time they see his artwork, they seem to stop and marvel. Terrence finishes a sale of one of his fine art portraits and two t-shirts. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you supporting my art. Terrence turns to Corey. Well, that couple was from Lower Marion. Upper class. You know it. A black man stands about 30 feet away, secretly watching Terrence's transactions. Standing alongside him is a big, heavy-set man who stands about six feet five, sporting a pronounced Rick Ross type of Sunni beard. Corey notices a beautiful woman walking directly towards them. Hey, straight ahead. I think my future wife is walking this way. Oh, man. Oh, hey, be cool. Look professional. Lisa, 30, black, striking and eclectic with an Art Saves Lives t-shirt on, approaches. Hello, fellas. I couldn't help but notice your artwork and people stopping to look. Hello? Uh, Corey, chill, chill. Um, um, I'm Terrence, the hardest behind this work. Uh, This is my cousin, Corey, who handles my social media and content curation. Nice to meet you, Terrence and Corey. I really love the work, especially the fine art over here. Oh, yes. Uh, Check it out. Wow. It's so real. It, It really personifies the soul and the power of us. Well, thank you. You know, usually people show us in the inner city element, it's always with pain, stress, and trauma. You know, when I see us, I see everything you just said. You know, soul, power, prestige. Me too. Uh, Corey. Lisa looks over the paintings with even more focus. These would look good in both of my offices. Oh, what do you do? I'm a city planner. Then I teach performing arts and dance part-time at Freedom Theater. Ah, over on Broad Street. Yep. So how much for each painting? Uh, 100. But for you, you know, I'll... I'll take two for 300. Oh, but it's only 100 each. Well, I want to overpay. Let's just say you need to really recognize your worth, Terrence. Corey is amazed as he films the purchase and exchange. Lisa's lady friends who were over at the nearby booth come over to help her with the artwork. You know, I can help y'all carry that, you know. We're big girls. We got this. Well, do you have a card or anything? Lisa hands Terrence her card. Then she walks off with her girls. Man, listen. Is she going to be my new cousin-in-law? Corey, calm down. Slowly and suddenly, Zamir, 32, walks up to the desk. He's a smooth professional and very chill. The big man with the beard stands 10 feet behind him. Terrence, I see you stuck to it. Zamir, yo, yo, what's up? They both shake hands. I love the artwork. 
I remember when you used to keep that sketchbook with you while you were with your big brother, God rest his soul. Yeah, you know he had me into the music, but this is really what I wanted, you know? Is that your bodyguard or something? Something like that. <laughs> so, so what's good, Z? Your artwork. That's what's good. So uh, let me get 10 of those shirts, four hats, all them coasters over there, and three of those fine art paintings. Terrence is blown away. Corey and Terrence eventually pack up and bag everything. Zamir makes his purchases as the big man also helps. So T, let's chop it up some more eventually. Talk some business. Oh, no doubt. Terrence and Zamir shake hands. Zamir gives T his info, then he and the big man walk off. Wow, yo, Corey, is this real? Cause it is, but watch Zamir. He owns a ton of real estate, but I heard he still gets his hands dirty in the street. And I ain't talking sanitation. Terrence thinks to himself, and he is compromised. Act three. A few weeks go by with Terrence and Zamir having several conversations. Eventually, Zamir invites Terrence over to one of his condos. Interior, condo, day. Terrence walks into Zamir's condo, and he is blown away at what he sees. This looks more like an art museum than a condo. A huge painting of ancient African king Mansa Musa is prominent. Zamir's art acumen is on another level. Wow, yo, this looks like a museum, Z. You know the vibe. Check out the Isaac Paleos. You see the urban mediums. Yeah, I'm checking the King Saladins. Yo, you got the Bart Cooper joints too? Damn. Yep, over there is Knowledge Burnett Masterpiece. Then I got two Basquiat's. I'm trying to get my hands on a Warhol. Terrence and Zamir sit down at a table with old school nostalgic chess pieces in the middle. So T, I want to not only invest in you, but manage you. Tell me more. You know the art galleries tend to want to take 50% of what your art is sold for. I'm listening. But if you have your own gallery and displays and even have other artists display their art under your umbrella, then we can create our own ecosystem. Terrence you sits back to think. You see, the art game is like the music or sports or even society. The privileged take advantage of the underprivileged. I see. Eliminate the middleman. T. Pioneers like Kerry James Marshall opened a door for the Gahande Wileys and the King Saladins. One of Amy Sherwood's paintings sold for four million. Jeff Kuhn, who's from York, PA, an hour and a half from here is worth $200 million right now from his artwork. Wow, man, that's a big number. Bro, I've been to Paris, Morocco, Spain, Greece. I have connects in New York, the whole nine. I know the game. Yo, look, I know you have crazy real estate portfolio, but what's up with your street life? Everyone needs seed money. My father was locked up for life and my mother passed away early. I had to survive. Look, I'm, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm positioning myself to leave it completely behind. Hmm. So you see me as another way out. Your talent is undeniable. Terrence looks around as he goes into deeper thought. So you say you have connection to New York City? It all depends on how you want to position yourself. Zamir and Terrence continue to talk, fade out. Tia Streety on stage direction, Jamal Henderson playing Corey, Lauren DeShane playing Lisa, Pedro Luis playing Zamir, 
myself, Jarrell Pippins, playing Corey. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Good Hope Productions. Yo, Coach Bob, put me in a game. We have some great guests for you today. This is the creative career pathway section. A lot of people wonder why, um, I guess there are not more of us in certain spaces as far as executive landscapes and being bosses and presidents or what have you of different organizations. But uh, we're here to dispel that myth because contrary to popular belief, we want to do more than just uh, rap and play basketball. And it reminds me of Biggie Small said, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. And that was um, profound because it displayed some of the limited options we think we have. But our guests today are going to dispel that and show you all the options. So we're going to start off, first of all, we have, I'm going to say the names and then I'll let her take it away. But first of all, we have Talisha Bird. Then we have Bart Cooper. Then we have Baba John. Did I say that right, Baba? You got it right. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. I'm waiting for my I'm waiting for my African ancestry, man. So my, my tongue is probably just naturally doing that. Stop laughing. I'm, I'm putting my money on West African. West okay. African for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bart, I sent them my African ancestry, man. I'm, I might be your brethren. I got I can't wait. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. We're gonna That's start. Funny. Um, I, I, my bad, Bub. Anything you want to say, Bub? I'm taking up all the air time. No, no, we good. We good. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna start off with ladies first. The queen, um, um, sophisticated, very uh, a grown woman, uh, CEO, businesswoman. Uh, her and I are with the same. Are we? We're the same modeling agency. Shout out well, to NT. I'm for talent. So for talent. Oh yeah, I'm with them for for uh, print. What's called print in the modeling world? They call it print. So I'm with that with them for print. So if you see me up on the billboard with some baby oil on me, that was NTA. If you see her for talent, that's NTA. <laughs> Shout out to Nick Terzian. If he hears this, he's gonna say, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's the head of the NTA guy. But uh go ahead, Talisha. I'll let you introduce yourself, where you from and what you do. Um, my name is Talisha Bird. I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida. You know what I'm saying? Dirty bird, the best bird in the world. <laughs> I know Tampa Bay think they the, um, the Bay Area over there. I think they the best, but it's really too big. Um, I am, I have a lot of selection. Um, originally model, 20 plus years. I may not look that old, but black don't mm. crack. Um, singer, signed to Motown Universal, pop group, German pop star from early 2000s. Um, reality star, MTV, 8th and Ocean, um, Laguna Beach, same time as Laguna Beach, uh, which was about models in South Beach. And currently, I left from cannabis. I managed one of the top dispensaries in Southern California for five years mm-hmm. into real estate. And now I am a CEO of my own online boutique, All Style. So, All Style. Lots of hats, right. but... I'm a Gemini, so I'm a jack of all trades. So. Uh, but, dude, but Wait a minute. Me. You said you're a what? <laughs> a what? A Gemini? Oh, Lord. Hey, y'all, Bob is into the signs. <laughs> Are you a May Gemini or, or a June? Birthday as Naomi Campbell. So that might tell you a little bit about who I am as a person. May 22nd, I, the first day of Gemini. You said the 26th? 22nd. May 22nd. <laughs> he took a deep breath. <laughs> Are you a Gemini too? No. 
He just no. knows. I just know Gemini's very well. <laughs> mm. It's a good thing, though. It's a good thing. No, Gemini's good people. People are scared of Gemini's, but I just think that uh, the extremes are that they're extreme. But you got to be in control of that no matter what. So no matter what the sign is. Good well, enough for me. Biggie Smalls with a Gemini. We got, uh, I think, Kendrick Lamar's a Gemini. Tupac is a Gemini. Prince. Prince. Yes. Prince. Yeah, Gemini's in the building. So yeah, Gemini's in the house. Shout out to the Cancers, Kevin Hart, um, 50 Cent, Mike Tyson. So I might start crying, you know, we're emotional. But uh, I'm going to pass the mic to uh, visual artists, man. This guy's work is crazy. Um, you know, we're trying to get our dollars up so we can afford him eventually. <laughs> I don't know, I'm flattering him, but uh, Bart Cooper, introduce yourself. Hey, what's up, people? Um, my name is Bart Cooper. Pretty much um, born in West Africa, Liberia. Moved to the United States at age six. And I've pretty much been raised out here. Um, traveled all over the U.S. Um, started off in Minnesota, then New Jersey, then Pennsylvania. And now I reside in Los Angeles, California. I'm based out of here working. Um, pretty much been an entrepreneur almost all my life. Um, and art is something that I started at the age of three and I've been doing it since that's the, that's one of the, my main drive and passion. So I've been doing this all, all my life, man, creating man, I, and, and drawing. Man. I, and I can't wait to hear what goes into your pieces. Cause I know we talked before we're going to go into your putting superhero logos on some mm -hmm. of the black superheroes from back in the day. And I'm an African-American studies major, so I can't wait to dig into that. But last but not least, we, we man, we got a celebrity, y'all, man. We we glad he fit in. Oh, oh, I'm going to flatter him. I'm going to flatter him. I had to call his publicist, his secretary. Right, right. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> I had to call his assistant, assistant. You know, I had to, had to call them up. And, man, they got me through the line. Man, yeah. no. Uh, Baba, tell us what you do, man. You're the man right now. <laughs> hello, hello, guys. Um, my name is Baba John. I'm from Gambia, West Africa, little country, one of the smallest countries in Africa, actually. The land of Kunta Kinte, by the way. Hey. Um, yeah, we are Mandingos, you know. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was born I was born there, and I moved to the United States in '95, and um, and um, I'm a fashion designer, creative director, um, costume designer, manufacturer. It's just like. So much, so much, so much, so much go. I mean, everything about clothes, I'm with it. Um, from sewing to pattern making, garment construction. And I have a brand as well. Um, and I'm based out of Los Angeles. Got you. So, yeah. man, I guess when my results come back, I might be Mandingo. Uh, they no, might be. You might, might be, bro. Be. I might be. Don't you tell might me. Be, my ego is already crazy. Man. Yeah. But, okay, just before we get into it, Mr. T... Is this true? Mr. T, the way he wore his hair and all that gold he wore, I think he did his lineage way back in the day, and he said he was Mandingo, I think. That's why he wore hair, his hair like that. Yeah. He was just 18, but he was wearing that for... Am I, yeah, am I, I never that? knew that. Yeah. yeah. Now, it was, it, you know, it's... Um, yeah, he could pass for 40. The hair and everything, you know, the jewelry, you know, it's a tribe that love. They love a lot of gold and gotcha. super macho. And the hairstyle, definitely, for sure. <laughs> and um, I think yeah. um, Kanye is in the Black Man Soul to Rock That Gold. And then, um, uh, man, Pimp C and 
effort me, you know, I got it saying, you know, mm-hmm. you all can't blame these kids for liking, liking to rock the jewels. It's just in their, it's just, it's in their genes and their blood. He didn't say it very academically, but yeah. we, we got the gist. Yeah, so, it, it, it's in us. <laughs> right, right, right. And we're going to talk about that, how it translates into your clothing. Seriously, mm-hmm. because man, I'm bub, bub, solid, man, oh man. I might even have to slim down to where. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm going to stop eating ice cream for about three months. You want me on the runway rocking clothes. No, once, we, I get, once, I get, once I get rid of this 12 pack. Love <laughs> for the view. Love just show the stomach. No, nah, I, like, I, I like the clothes. I love the dress and I love to wear suits and stuff like that. Thank you know, you. I'm a big guy and it's hard to mm-hmm. find nice clothes, but I would definitely rock your pieces. Yeah, once I once I trim down a bit, I'm in the process. No, I mean you don't even have to. We, you know, it's custom. We do, we, you know, we do a lot of custom. So oh, it's on now. It's like, yeah, we have. All I gotta do is do some push-ups, put some baby oil on, like this, and I'm good. <laughs> like me, you gotta put some baby oil on. I mean, that yeah. works. Take my shirt off. Alicia, call Nick. Call the call the mile agency. I'm yeah, exactly. Have somebody put some on my back and everything. Well, I'll be good. <laughs> but no, um, you're fine. That's our job. You just you just show up. It's our job to make it look look make the way it's supposed yeah. to look. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going to go into it. Um, in, in, in these fields, um, people go into the. I, I know going into. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Coming out of football, um, I spent 20 years of my life dedicated to the game, and I was in my late 20s coming out into the real world. And I'm. I'm not embarrassed to say this anymore. But I will say this: at 28, 29, doing something since I was eight, I literally did not know what people did in the real world. Um, I didn't really have a concept of the first or the 15th because I think I was a, everything was around sport. I was a golf caddy um, in the summer. And then I would go straight from the golf course to track practice or seven on seven with football. So I really, honestly, I knew I was golfing for lawyers and doctors or what have you, but then I was so immersed in the game that I really didn't pay attention to people's um, other uh, roads to get to, to where they're at. I think we know doctors go to medical school and lawyers go to law school and things of that nature, but I just didn't know. So I was literally in the real world going on 30 years old, like what the heck do all these people do? And the thing is with the inner city, as Biggie Small said, I did feel those limited options. I can run fast. I can jump high. Um, I was great on the football field and on the track. This is my ticket. Um, by the grace of God, my mom exposed me to the arts, and this is why I'm here today. And Bub coaches some of his um, players who, I don't know, they may think the same thing, but I know we have the internet now. So I'm going to first start off with Talisha and what you do as far as not only what you do, you're like second generation, excuse me, I want to, like pageant girl, what? pageant professor, I'm sorry. But... How does, and I'm going to say, talk about how you got into it, because I know not only racism, but facism, socialism goes into a lot of these occupations we choose that they think black and brown don't do. So uh, how, how were you raised? How did you get into what you got into from your mother? My mother is um, a lineage of Miss Bethune-Cookman College, the first mm. college there is. Um, she's painted on the wall in Bethune-Cookman. Uh, when you walk into the entryway. Um, So I was raised, and that was like a beauty pageant. My mom is much fairer than I am in skin tone. And she just knew the hardships of being a Black woman, especially Mm -hmm. going to predominantly Black college, and what it took for her to win, and the hardships that she went through, even trying to do pageants outside of the black college pageants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went on to do that. So I was raised as one of those toddler and Tierra type of kids. But my mom also 
which is funny. I watched those shows, you know, she kind of instilled in me that we don't need the prettiest dress. We don't need the expensive stuff. It's about your character, how you walk into a room, the poise you have, you know, the articulation that you speak, all those mm-hmm. things. Into it. Um, and she also instilled in me, you can't just be that pretty face. You have to be intellectual at the same time. Um, but when I went into beauty pageants, it was hard for me because I saw both sides of it. I saw who a lot of the girls were outside of standing on the stage and answering, you know, the questions correctly. I was always first runner up mm-hmm. every time I did a beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, you know, the girl with the more sparkly dress. But I, I did it until I was about 13. My mom also kept me in ballet you know, tap, jazz, all that from a kid. I was a majorette as a kid. I was in the choir. So I had a full schedule outside of, you know, kids normally. um, Bro, I would come from, you're a cheerleader with the football team. You know, like that's, in our community, that's basically what it is. My mom forced me to be outside of the norm all the time. And I cried about it. I told uh, Jarrell the story of me going to my cotillion And I walked in that room and it was all white kids and I've never acted out as a kid, but that's the first time I was like, I'm not, you know, doing it, but I understand now what she was trying to do. She was trying to teach me. So I transitioned from that into modeling at the age of 13. My brother went to a a modeling scout, um, like a model scout, like competition. And they wanted me to come, but I was about 11 and my mom was like, no, until she's 13. And when I went at 13, every agency there went me and I signed with elite. So my summer times, um, were spent going to New York and working as a kid. Like that was my summer camp going to New York to work full time as a model. My mom would take off and do that. So I transitioned from the beauty pageant and all the other extracurricular like ballet and stuff into modeling at 13. So I started out pretty, you know, pretty young in New York mm-hmm. and, and grinding and <laughs> working in magazines. And I didn't tell people in school cause it was a lot of judgment. Um, and then 16, I started traveling by myself. So Tyra Banks once said, um, years ago, I saw her on television. I remember looking up to her and Naomi. Those were my, you know, those are the women that I looked up to. Those were the supermodels. Um, she said to always, you know, treat it like a business. So like I said, I've been in the business I started at 13, 18 full time. Mm. I am now 39 and I'm still doing it. I'm still, yeah, I'm still wow. <laughs> baby, but I'm not afraid to tell my age. Could yeah. you, know? you yeah. caught me off guard with that one. I <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is like you to keep it. It's not about, cause I could do this. I'm mean, going to be gray hair. The, the age thing doesn't matter. It's about treating it like a business. So those, the, the fundamentals that my mom taught me back then and how I transitioned and, and used all of those tools to be a model and to, you know, to grow and expand were because of the stuff she taught me from what she learned, you know? Being wow. wow. <laughs> because, yeah, because I think you looking at that, I don't think people also know how much time that a LeBron James and Bart, we'll get into in a minute. I know Bart, you came up, you have, you have an athletic background as well. Just how much time and dedication you have to have to that from a young age. But even as an athlete, um, you have to grow up very fast. This AAU stuff starts, uh, for me, it started at age nine with basketball and everything else. And like you said, family reunions, you might have to move. It's, it's, it gets crazy. So let's go into Bart Cooper. How did you get started in the visual arts at a young age? 
Well, I, got, um, I was, I, I remember vividly. I was in, um, I was in Africa at the time I was three years old mm -hmm. and, um, I saw my father, he was drawing. So he was sketching up some things and he started drawing. He, it was a portrait. And, um, pretty much after he drew the portrait, uh, I just picked up the pencil and I was like, you know, let me try that. And I just started drawing too. And I never put down the pencil since then, you know? So, um, I could tell I had some talent because like, as I started to go to school and stuff like that, um, teachers would have me draw them pictures and stuff like that. <laughs> so like I would draw pictures and I got away with a lot of things in school because of art. So like, um, they would want a painting or they would want a, a, a portrait or some sort of drawing. And then, um, I would just do that, but it was mostly like an escape for me. I knew I had the talent, but you know, growing up as a young kid, art wasn't really my focus. It was going to be sports. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know, I'm going to be some athlete or something like that. So, um, I was more into focus on that, but the arts I used that was a, as a form of escape for me where, you know, just zoning out and just like, you know, just spacing out or something like that. I was always sketching something and just doodling on a paper or on a desk. I was that guy or at the lunch table, I'm drawing on the, on the, on the tables and stuff like that. Right. So that's just where it kind of derived from. And, and then, um, I didn't get serious about it till like my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. So, um, what happened was I was in high school, my sophomore year and, um, an art teacher, you know, an art teacher asked me like, you know, I saw this piece you did in the art room. What do you want for it? You know what I'm saying? I want to buy it. I'm interested in buying it. Now, normally I just give away my stuff free if somebody likes it. Cause in my mind, I'm like, I'll just draw another one. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't see the value in it at the time. So she was like, all right, what's your price? I'll buy it from you. And I was like, all right, $5. <laughs> and when I said $5, she kind of busted out laughing. So like, I was kind of like, Oh snap. Like, <laughs> I think I went too high, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I was yeah. like, all right, two dollars. She was like, Probably. <laughs> I was like, right, I was like, two dollars, you know what I'm saying? And then she was like, she was like, she started laughing even more. She was like, okay, how about I write you a check for fifty dollars? And I was like, bet, like, you know, so that was like my first time someone really purchasing a work from me. So I was like, fifty dollars. I came up, I came up on this teacher, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. All right. So she wrote it. I didn't know how, you know, that was the first time I felt like someone wrote a check to me. So I didn't even know, like, she was like, who do I make it out to? I'm like, I don't even have a bank account. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm right, like, right, right, make right. it out to Bart, you know? So like, she writes it out. I give her the art and everything like that. We did the transaction. And then um, the following week, she came back to me again. She said, I saw another one of your pieces and um, I want to buy it. And I was like, all right, well, you want to do $50? She was like, no, this time I want to buy this one for like $100. And I was like, oh, man. You know, so like, that's where the light bulb went. I mean, right. I always had like a entrepreneurship mindset. So like, I always had that, that mindset of an entrepreneur, but I didn't see it in the art world. You know what I'm saying? I was just thinking about how other ways to do businesses and stuff like that. But when that, when I saw the value of that, it taught me like a, like, I was like, oh man, people really people really would pay for my work. You know what I'm saying? And then that's when I started to research and get serious about the art world and um, get more in, uh, in depth about that and finding other artists that inspired me, you know, studying them and seeing their success story. And um, that's how I kind of like really tapped into the art field, but comic books is what really had my attention. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So like comic books is what, 
had me started to go into drawing a lot and getting focused because I wanted to be, I was like, maybe I could be a comic book artist because I like comic books. I like characters. And then there was one artist that inspired me. His name was, at the time, his name was Rob Liefeld. He's a comic book character. I mean, illustrator. He was the youngest illustrator for Marvel comic books. And I saw him in a Levi's commercial. So when I saw him in a Levi's commercial on this national commercial as a comic book artist, you know, most comic book artists aren't in, in that world or nothing like that. Yeah. So to see it on that national scale, I was like, this guy's balling. Like he's really, and he's young. He's like in his twenties and the youngest comic book artist. I'm in high school. I want to be like, I think I can do this. You know what I'm saying? So like I started studying him. Right. And, um, another one of my fans was, um, um, what's his name? Um, Todd McFarlane and Todd McFarlane. So just, if you guys don't know, Rob Liefeld, he's the creator of Deadpool. Wow. Uh, the Marvel character. So he's the creator of that. So then I, I fell in love with Todd McFarlane because Todd McFarlane was a lot, lot, a little bit older, but he was more, he had an entrepreneur mindset on how to capitalize off his money mm-hmm. and um, more about the business side. And Todd, um, um, Todd McFarlane is one of the, he has one of the, to this day, he has one of the biggest toy manufacturing companies. Um, and he's the creator of Spawn. Character, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if, if you're aware about that, oh yeah, yeah I remember Spawn. Um, that's another thing with us getting into this game of music, art, um, TV, film. Um, I'm not going to lie, even even football. And I'll ask Bub about battle in a minute. Battle is a clothing line in football. The distribution of the product that mm-hmm. is the major thing that more black and brown need to also go after because that's where the real coin is and um well my bad y'all baba's publicist just texted me and said could you please hurry up and start asking him questions oh he's got it he's got things i'm sorry I'm baba. From you, everywhere you from borrow, me today. time man you're a celebrity but um <laughs> no not <laughs> baba tell us your stylist tell us i mean i guess just from I guess birth to teenage years, your adolescent. And I'm asking this because when I watch documentaries, I don't want to hear the end. Yeah. To hear the beginning. And I said I was very ignorant when I got into the real world. Because Sports Center, for the for the listeners, Sports Center shows you everything. I knew the process of getting into the NFL or the NBA or the Olympic trials. But all these other things, these architects, these stylists, these, these models, these, these uh, you know, visual artists, man, I couldn't tell you, you know, so. Tell us about from birth to present. Yeah. Um, well, I, as I said earlier, I'm from Gambia, West Africa. That's where I was born. Uh, from parents of my both my parents. I was born into fashion, actually. You know, I was born when I was born. My dad was a tailor. My mom was a seamstress, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was that kid, just learned how to walk, talk, and all of that in the atelier around fashion. You know, my whole entire, right. my, my whole entire childhood. Um, I remember I started playing with the machines and all that, like at the age of five or six, just being curious about what they do, you know, cause I'm, I'm there all the time. Can I see them get to work and I see the products that they, they put out there. So as a child, you don't really, really understand what's going on yet, mm-hmm. you know, but you understand that, okay, sometimes they get on the machine and they have all these people that are working for them and, 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 um, they were creating and people are coming to pick up stuff. Um, and I had interest in it, like at an early age, you know, um, when I got into school 
and um and then I looked at my uniforms and I was like, no, this is not, I gotta, <laughs> you know, I gotta fill this thing out, spice you know? It up. Yeah, spice it up. But I remember, you know, at the age of like 11 or 12, you know, um, you know, I looked at my uniform and I wanted to redesign it. By then I kind of really knew how to walk the machines and how to, you know, do a few things around the atelier. Um, I had many, many siblings. It was like eight of us from my, from my mom and my dad had 10 kids. So, but, no, everybody, everyone knew how to sew at some point, but mm-hmm. I was the one that was really, really interested in the craft, you know, and my dad always had me close to him, um, showing me a few things because I would always ask, how do I get this? How do I do that? So um, when it came down to my uniform and I looked at them, I was like, you know, I want to really design this thing, make it a little cooler. Mm-hmm. You know, back then we grew up, we watching MTV, watching all this crazy other stuff, you know, um, from from all over the world. And I was very interested in, you know, fashion magazines. Everybody that would come from the UK, I was just like, bring me a fashion magazine, you know, all this stuff like Vogue and all of that. I, I really wanted to see them. Um, so I remember this, this uniform was my first project to, um, to just make it really cool, make the shorts a little longer, pick it out, make some cuffs on it. And they attracted, you know, a lot of my friends. That was my first hustle, you know. When I showed up to school, all my friends were like, yo, yo, yo. You get that? <laughs> yeah, we wanted this, we wanted that, you know? And then that was my first answer. Uh, you, 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 all of that, let's, let's get it, you know? So they came in, they bring, they were like, okay, I want, I want shim shorts like yours. And they were, in Gambia, every school, you know, you go to school with uniform. So just imagine all of my friends from, they go to all different schools, but they'll come to me mm-hmm. and then, you know, catch on, everybody came to me, the son of sons of presidents and all of that. We just like, so Baba, you, you wasn't, so Baba, you wasn't taking no Gordon Gartrell's to school, was you? You know, with your crooked shirt, like the Gordon Gartrell shirt, like Theo Hustle had with the crooked <laughs> buttons and all. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. <laughs> it was, you, the Gordon you Gartrell to, special can, with the crooked <laughs> buttons and the pop. <laughs> when Denise tried to make him that shirt. <laughs> no, no, that, that, you, can, you can put that on top of a uniform, man. Well, for, for, like, you right. Can, yeah, the teachers no, would be like, get out of here. You know? <laughs> you know, so I had to like redesign it, but still stay within certain guidelines, you know, because that's cool. <laughs> that's exactly how it was. But um, fast forward, um, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of school and go to this atelier. So my older brother, who was much, much older than me, by then had his own atelier and was out of um my dad had set him set him with his own um tailoring shop mm-hmm. and everything. So, but he was cool because he was making stuff. By then, he was making stuff that, that was appealing to younger younger people and the younger generation. So I went with him. He definitely taught me the fundamentals of, of literally garment construction. You know, how do you construct like a garment, whatever you wanted to construct. Not in a school setting, not in learning, but like more like, you my apprentice, <laughs> you're going to do this, you know. Um, yeah, he instilled a lot in me. So... I catch on really fast because I already learned, you know, even while I was juggling school and coming to this shop, my dad or his, um, you know, it was a, when I was going to school, I was still going to my dad or his, you know, to just like really, really, you know, um, um, enhance my craft. So when he, when he felt comfortable that I was, that I was good, he made a call. I had an aunt that had a really, really cool shop. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest, coolest, coolest um, ateliers back there. It was in a five-star hotel, and you had the chance to uh, work with tourists from all over the world. 
So they will bring like Versace, Dolce, and, and all these designers for you to recreate in sometimes in African fabric and stuff. So that gave me first hand to just open this garment and actually see what was in it mm-hmm. and how it was constructed and added with everything my people know. I, I felt like I was ready. So um, there were a lot of tourists that would even go home and that would call over there, like half Baba make me this, this. They couldn't believe at my age, at 15, 16, 17, that I was making these things. Proud you know? Yeah. So, so I want to respect even for the diplomats that were living there, that were living in the country, you know, from the U.S. embassy, from the German embassy, all these diplomats that couldn't go back home all the time and go shopping, or they want like this, this, um, this Oscar de la dress, but they wanted it to African fabric or in a, in a different fabric. Wow. So they will come there and they will just, will just do that. So that's, you know, that really enhanced my... So when I came to the States, it was... I, I, just, I just knew that I, they, they sent me here to just go to fashion school, right? So I'm like, I got here, I was like, I already know how to make clothes. But then it is, and, and they insisted, go mm-hmm. to school for fashion business, then you'll get it. Right. But I, 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 was, I was very strong-headed. I was just like, I'm just going to learn on the job. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go ahead and just start making clothes and just find, you know, and find out how, how the business is structured, was structured, you know. And it, it took a lot of time to understand how it, how it really worked. It oh even took from me working, walking away from fashion for a while. I actually to get back to fashion like five years ago. Wow. So see, hold on. That's stop right there. Um, with the journey, people don't realize the stop and go, the ups and downs and things of yeah. that nature. And um, yeah. speaking of school, now I got a question for Bub. Since Bub is a high school football coach, he's in there with the school, he's in there with the kids. Bub, when I was in high school, at least my first high school, which was Overbrook High School, which is the alma mater of Will Smith, Wilt Chamberlain, View for Blue, which is the first black man on the moon. We had the fifth and sixth floor, which was all art. Okay. All art students, you will go up there and you will see something similar to like what Bart is doing right now. I mean, it was awesome. But all that stopped. But talk to us about the kids right now in the inner city. You know, we got LeBron opening up schools. We got Jalen Rose, I believe, open up a school. And I know why, but some people, our listeners may not know why. What is going on now with the schools as far as the art programs, the shop programs, the music programs lately in the past 10 years? Well, me being a music major, mm-hmm. even in the school where I coach at and work at now, there's no music program. I mean, you got the teachers teaching, you know, they got the little small drum section that'll come play at the pep rallies and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I walked in there and saw a whole room full of studio equipment being unused mm. full studio equipment uh booths with probably five thousand dollar doors on them with pianos in them where you could record a whole string orchestra in one room and a pianist in two other rooms unused nobody there to enforce this and and, and take control of this so I'm just like, all of these resources here, is here, why are we not using it? And I know when I was in school in the 90s at West Philly, I mean, you got to think of all the musicians that came out of West Philly. I mean, Evelyn Champagne King, mm-hmm. uh, Freeway, I think, went to West for like a year or something like that, transferred me. Uh, <laughs> um, Gamble and Huff, uh, Kenny Gamble went to West Philly High for uh, Philadelphia International Sound, the whole sound of Philly. Teddy P. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, the people were able to do things, but now you don't really see it as often. It's not that important anymore. Um, but the disparity, I'm, I'm now uh, to your point um, for our listeners, there is a disparity in budgets, extracurricular mm-hmm. activities with our mm-hmm. inner city schools as opposed to our suburban schools. Now we get it because the argument is well, the taxes help pay for the schooling and extracurriculars. But if and we had our last episode on gentrification, if you're renting, you're not paying taxes and you're underemployed, then money is not being allocated towards it. And we have another, um, we have another episode in which we'll talk about the fact that it is a civil rights issue of money not being allocated for the bands, the art programs, the, 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 the um, shop programs in which you become a plumber or, or a um, construction worker or something coming out of high school. Lost all of it. Right. And this is why we're having this conversation because people like Baba, Bart, Talisha, a lot of us are self-taught. And you're wondering why Kaepernick is kneeling and why LeBron is still talking about this. So we're going to go into Talisha. Um, after, you're, after you go into New York, now you're in the big city, NYC. We're from Philly, so NYC is a whole nother beast. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying just talk about the negatives, but tell us about the challenges. Because for me, I know um, not only racism, but facism. And socialism had to do with my transition into the real world because, oh, you're from West Philly, you play ball, you should like this. No, actually, I like to read Shakespeare because my mom took me to the Annenberg Theater, University of Penn. But face-wise, you're Black, you wouldn't think that. How is that positive and negative? Tell us about some of the challenges of making that transition into NYC as a woman from the South. My first transition was three days after graduated to L.A. Wow came out here to do a LA looks contest and um they kind of just like put me into the contest it I think I think I was kind of used to seeing different faces but once I was an adult and you're comprehending Mm -hmm. what how people see you especially because I'm a southern I have a southern dialect this may not be as strong right now but when I go home you know and I'm saying that slang come out but at the end of the day people judge you off of that and, you know, I have to teach my mom has taught me how to speak in a room, you know, full of, you know, it, what, whoever is there because you don't want to be judged. I think that's part of the beauty pageant girl in me. Mm-hmm. Um, get comfortable. Um, my twang can come out my, you know, what I'm saying my sassy, <laughs> my right. Anna B comes right. <laughs> but you have to be cognizant of it, you know, and because you're judged. And I remember doing a show and usually I am one of two girls. Right. So I in L.A., New York and I tr- is especially if runway runway is my thing. Like you can't you cannot walk me, Naomi, maybe. But I'm just saying <laughs> like, right. walk me. Yeah. That's how confident I am about it. But at the end of the day, though. It's usually me and a dark-skinned girl. It's always Mm. like that. Mm. It's always the two of us there, if not just me or her. That's interesting. Like, they know you're going to be there. And then there'll be 10 or 15 other girls there. Now, these girls we work with on a regular basis, but when someone was like, oh, you know, Talisha's from the hood, so you like, Talisha, who from what hood? No, I grew up in an upper-middle-class golf community. Mm. You know, and because, like, you're talking about or I'm comfortable because I've been working with y'all for about 10 years together and you hear me telling a story and I'm comfortable backstage and now you're judging, you know, and I realize that a lot of it comes from, I don't want to say ignorance, but it's mm-hmm. not 
exposure or it's what they have been exposed to. They think that all of us or, you know, whatever you, however you want to describe it. And it's like, no, I come from, I come from just the same as you. I, you know, I was Jack and Jill. My mom was in a AKA. I was in an exquisite gym, the whole thing. But I think it is a lot of judgment because of it. It's even in fashion, like, I don't tell you how many times I've walked into an agency I know I should be with and they tell me they have one of me, but I'm looking at a wall of 50 blondes mm-hmm. right? but because we already have one or two of you light skinned girls. And that even goes out. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. But we'll have a dark skinned girl. We'll have an African looking girl. She may not be, be African, but that's, you know, because that's what's in trend. Then we have a, a light skinned girl. We may have two of those, one as a backup, if the other one is busy. And then after that, we're done. But you got 50, 60 blondes. And, it's, and, and honestly, it goes like that with redheads and Asian girls too. Wow. wow. You know what I'm saying? They'll have one or two Asian girls because that's what they, and then it's just full of white girls. And wow. And, and a lot of these girls are my friends. It's nothing against them, but that's it. It, it resonates in that as well, and as well as like what they think you should shoot. You know what kind of jobs you should get, and mm-hmm. even transitioning into the acting world, that was probably one of my biggest things because it's like I'm not just the pretty face, or I'm not just a hot girlfriend, or whatever. Like I want a drama role as well, so it kind of it's mm-hmm. it, it's different, and it's it's a hard transition multiple times but yeah the colorism the facism is like it can be it can be difficult and staying faced when someone when that adversity comes to you where you're like right now does you know what i'm saying the saint petersburg could come out right <laughs> we're not going to do that we're gonna right. you know teach you that i know i'm not from the hood and that's okay but that's not that's not who i am because i i definitely can feel where you're coming from with that as a coach I've experienced kind of sort of, they even do that within the coaching world, believe it or not. It's crazy. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us about that, bud. Talk to us. Absolutely. Listen, okay, let me tell you this one experience. So everyone in the public league that goes to Lehigh to run indoor track, everyone pays a league fee. Every school, Bartram, whoever chooses to run, you got to pay, you got to pay the same amount as whatever schools that come from whatever counties. Okay. The inner city schools, y'all public league, Philadelphia, inner city schools. Right. So you got West Philly, Overbrook could be there. You got Bartram motivation. And I'm talking about kids who end up going to the state meet. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about, we don't come there just showing up. My my four by 200 boys were ranked seventh in the state of Pennsylvania. Overbrook was right there with us. Motivation was right there. I mean, you talking guys that are competing to be the best in the state. My, my assistant coach could not walk far from where they would park the buses. So the guy whose meet it was, I'm going to leave his name out, walked up to the bus and said, you guys can't park here. I said, excuse me. Um, and I, and they normally, I guess they look at the outside of me and they hear how I speak. Um, y'all can't park here. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, he's, uh, kind of, uh, handicapped. He can't really go far. So he, my assistant coach was saying, excuse me, sir. And he was walking away from him, giving him his back. I said, excuse me, sir. Cause I'm loud. You can hear me in the whole doggone indoor track meet <laughs> over everybody. Um, he walked away and he turned and he looked and he said, you, he said, sir, I'm asking you, who are you? So, I, um, he said, what's your name? Who are you? He said, Google us. You need to know who we are. And I was like, whoa. So at, at that point, 
I said, okay, yeah, you're right. We'll see you later. So I got my coach in there, got him a seat so he could sit down. And when I approached the guy, he tried to push my buttons and get me emotional. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I've seen him do it to another coach who coaches for Overbrook. He got him real riled up. I said, okay, I'm going to do everything he does. I'm going to do the opposite of everything he wants me to do. So the more that he tried to whatever, I was just like, okay, hey, I was very calm. But I noticed how you got some of the coaches that may be more fair-skinned, may speak a little differently. They may coach out in the county as well. Get treated a little bit different. They get the preferential treatment. They get to, oh, hey, coach. I... And then when we walk in, it's the block. The bad boys. We from the block, right? Mm-hmm. But see, I don't ever bother anybody. It wasn't until he heard me deal with that situation. And I know how to curse a person out without cursing. And I knew how to articulate my words. And that's some of the worst business you can give to folk that act like that. They can't handle it. So he kept trying to push the button. So hearing your story, I, I, I could dig it. Like, that you got your coaches that's a little fair skin that they accept. You got the dark skin ones that they accept that sound like them, that they accept. The ones that ran as furthest as they could from the hood and tried to take on whatever characteristics they could to fit in. I watch all these kind of things. Whereas though me, I like to preserve who I am so I don't have to change and act no different. Mm-hmm. The only thing I do different, which is something I think is just of maturity, which is to just speak better. Mm-hmm. You don't have to curse every other word. Yeah. So that's the only the only change I had to make from, from coaching football because sometimes these young men, you got to get in their world. And I lose my mind sometimes working on it. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, we experienced it as well. It's it's crazy hearing your stories because it's like there's no boundaries to what profession or what you're doing. I'm sure even in the art world and clothing, I'm pretty sure they say, all right, we got two Bibles. We good. (laughs) That's enough. Y'all met y'all quota for this year. (laughs) We got we got three Barts. Yeah, we met. We got three Barts. We met the quota for this year. We good. He's going to represent all y'all this year. Now, to, right, y'all got y'all got him right to that point, and to Alicia with you know I'm with NTA and I stay loyal to Nick. I really do, and I appreciate Nick. Nick was is my modeling agency. He signed me with no pictures, signed me with nothing. The struggle I went through. I'm coming out of football now. Facism, socialism, the whole nine. And yes, I went through that as well. Um, for our viewers who can't see, I'm a very very dark skinned man. That's why I can't wait for the African answers to come back. Bart and Baba. Can't wait. And bingo. But, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but, um, but, but the chocolate is, again, I heard we have two of you. We have three of you. Kind of heard that as, soon, as, as recent as two years ago with commercial agents. Because commercial for you guys, when you watch the uh, FedEx commercials, the office depots, or what have you, I guess because I've heard they're trying to adapt to the Midwest because the Midwest is more family oriented and the South. So they spent. What I'm, what I'm trying to understand right now is, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm all for diversity, but sometimes I feel like it's kind of like patronized. Like it's kind of like, and it's forced. It's a mixed couple thing right now. Everything is like, it's a black man with a white woman or, you know, it's a lot of that going on right now. So I get, I mean, that's that inclusion, et cetera. But, you know, I went through some, some of those things and by the grace of God, my agency, NTA, he said, forget all the BS. This is what we're going to do. Let's rock with you. And, you know, and, you know, as a model, you have to be groomed and um, cultivated 
and raised, which is, I guess, people don't know about the agency. Let's say I go to New York. Shout out to Tyson Beckford because without him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. I do fitness modeling as well. But if I go to New York and sign with an agency, I had to check with my mother agency first was an NTA. And because that's the agency that grooms you like a mother. So um, I'm going to pass the baton to Bart Cooper. Bart, you're from, I mean, I know you've been all over the place, but a part of your life raised in Bethlehem. For people that don't know, there's Philadelphia, then there's Pennsylvania. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> you see, I know you're laughing, Bart. So, Bart, yeah, it's Philadelphia. Then it's Pennsylvania. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's funny. So, like, even living in LA, like, when people ask where you're from, like, I usually say PA and they'll jump to Philly. And then sometimes we just let it slide. So, if you're not from really Philly, Philly, we just let it slide. But then when someone said, oh, I'm from PA too, that, that's, that's when we break it down because they'll understand, right. you know, what parts of LA, um, um, Pennsylvania you're from. So, like, yeah, so we, um, I re- resided in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. So, it was like um, Bethlehem and um, Bethlehem, Easton, Allentown, um, Whitehall area and stuff like that. So, I'm yeah. Gonna to, I'm going to perspective, your, yours in a, in a minute, Bart. I'm going to give you one Bethlehem story before how the heck did you come out of there to doing what you're doing? This is a, this is a Bethlehem story to put into perspective. Um, we're in Bethlehem. Um, we're throwing snowballs at a teammate. I said this on the other episode. And our teammate mm-hmm. was like the only white teammate. I think we had two white teammates on the track team at that time. We're throwing snowballs at him. We're having a snowball fight like kids do, 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16. And the owner of the gas station in Bethlehem, PA, was about to call the cops on us because okay. he didn't... Like, like Bub said, we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't have matching sweatsuits. We had yeah. hoodies on. Trayvon Martin, we had hoodies on. He has a hoodie on too, but, you know, we have the hoodie with the ears covered. So to them, it, I don't know, it looked kind of sketchy. We're throwing the snowballs at our white teammate, and the guy threatened to call the cops, and our coach had to walk in. Like you said, Bub, fix his diction. Sir, my name is Lenny. We're, we're just going home. We're from... But he was so startled because, like I said, in Philadelphia, oh, they're just playing. But in Bethlehem, so yeah, it's different. Yeah, tell us, so yeah. right? And then so with, with art, Warhol, Da Vinci. You know, I may think maybe some people may think white artists when they think about art, art as a whole globally. What yeah. were some of your struggles in coming from Bethlehem into this art world? Not only racism, but racism and socialism. Oh man, but let me even just go back to Jersey. So like Jersey is where I spent most of my life. So like, but the thing is my mom was transitioning every year. So we were moving all over every year. So like you looking at, we came from the hood, hood, like I'm talking about crack house, Mm. crack house apartments, you know, and her trying to better her life. So we were moving every time. So I'm going from the ghetto and we're transitioning. So like, that's how we transitioned to Bethlehem. So think about, Jersey, New Brunswick, her damn, but like some of the hardest places in New Jersey and schools and then like just transitioning. And then we end up in the Lehigh Valley. You know what I'm saying? So like I saw from hell to the the glory days, but even in the midst of it, when I was in Jersey um, um, for art, I was being, I was given scholarships to take, um, you know, to go to the community colleges and stuff like that to, to paint and be with the other talents of Jersey in the Middlesex wow. County. So like, one of the things that I had a, a, a white teacher at the time. So this is where like, I'm, le- I'm learning 
while I'm in high school, I'm learning the, you know, I'm talented, but now I'm learning the, the art, the, the, the art world, you know what I'm saying? How to, how to, how to be groomed. And like you said, how to understand it and how this thing works and stuff like that. But one of the teachers, it was funny. So like, I was the only black kid in the class, all these white kids from all these rich neighborhoods and um, other schools and stuff like that. I'm in from the, you know, the, the, the one chosen from the, 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 the hood school. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this class and like, this is where you start to see it. It's like, she's molding me because I'm the black painter. So it's like all the other people that inspired me, it was like, like, you know, there was Jacob Lawrence. There was all these other black painters, American painters that's out there that I understood. But the people that inspired me was like Leonardo da Vinci. You know what I'm saying? Like it was some of those people that were kind of like at the pinnacle of the art world. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of like emulate, you know, get my, raise my bar up to that level. But she would be like, yeah, you know, you should draw more like Jacob Lawrence. And I'm like, nah, I I like Leonardo da Vinci. I I think his style and techniques is kind of like on point. And she's like, yeah, you know, but no, maybe you should. I was like, okay, how about Salvador Dali? And he's like, she's like, no, how about like Jacob Lawrence? You know, he was a black artist and this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, so you're trying to put me in this box to be this black painting artist or to get this sort of technique. And I understand where she's going from, but it's like, and then all the students are looking at me, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like one of those things where they're always looking at you. So you're like, I was isolated out of that story, but transitioning to Bethlehem, you know, now I'm more in high school and stuff like that coming into the Lehigh Valley. This is now like, it was actually better in the art world because when I transitioned there, you know, the tools and like, like you guys are saying, like when you're in these schools, nothing is available. In the Lehigh Valley, where we lived, everything was available. Like, you know, our high school had swimming wings, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like swimming pool, whatever you want to do, like this art room, every different sort of format, wood wood shop, metal shop, like, you know, just Mm -hmm. everything. They had a wing specifically for that. Wow. And um, so, like, when I saw that, it piqued my interest because I was in the art room every day. And, like, some of the students, the the teachers that that was in, um, that was in those um, schools, they were actually really good because like I spent most of my time in the art room because they saw the talent. So it was just like send bar to the art room, bar to the art room. And then like any situation where it was like events or contests or anything like that, they had access to those things to kind of like have me, give me the opportunity to just like perform, you know what I'm saying? Like winning state championships and like, um, for art in the um, contest and stuff like that. Um, and so I would say the heartaches came from living in Jersey and like the Lehigh Valley, the art thing went easier for me. You know what I'm saying? But like, um, the molding is where the tough part happened because it's like, you know, me having an entrepreneurship background and understanding, like you guys were saying in the art world, like they got their certain, <laughs> you know, they got the five black people that they were investing. I mean, you can see it today, like the Basquiat's, like there's only a handful of black people in the art world that are successful mm. versus like the masses that are, there, that are, that, that can possibly be. And they'll just pick those five to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know what I'm saying? And then everybody else got to fight to want to join in that or be selected in that group. And then like, you know, there's a filter in that. So I didn't want to go that route. So like being an entrepreneur was, you know, paving my own route is what kind of like pushed me into that world to be like an entrepreneur and to get it myself instead of like 
raising my hand to look for an opportunity to be given to, you know what I'm saying? For a door to open for me, for me to be able to walk through, you know? So it gave me more of that aggression and, and motivation and ambition to do it myself. You know what I'm saying? And that's when you're getting faced with all those things, like where it's like, do it this way, create this way. This is how you're supposed to create, you know? Um, this is the game you have to play. You know, this is how you're supposed to look as an artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How you're supposed to dress, act, speak, talk, you know what I'm saying? You got to have some sort of story where the story is either like I'm this inner city kid that, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it, it has to build you up to be that same sort of mold. And I didn't want to come from that cloth. So like, it was like, I broke off and, and just started doing my own thing um, and being my entrepreneur, but paving my own way in the art world, which, right. which, which is a great choice. <laughs> you know? Rewarding. Um, it was the, way um, more rewarding. Right. Yeah. So we're going to bring the, we're going to pass the baton to, and I'm going to brag on Baba. Every time I go to you, I'm going to give you a hard time, Baba. I'm sorry. But some of his <laughs> clients, we're going to get to it in a minute, but some of his clients, I'll give him a hard time. Some of his clients include Cardi B, Offset, Monica, Kelly Rowland. I don't know. I, I ran out of paper. Um, with, with all the people that he's, that he's styling for. But Baba, tell us about your experience with coming from another country and getting into this when it comes down to not only racism, but fascism, socialism, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, for me, it, I, I always knew it was there, kind of, you know what I mean? But I, right from the outset, I just didn't experience so much of it around because the way I was moving and the way I was trying to build. Um, I went and focused on the craft, but we all knew that even then, even as a black designer, you weren't considered in major department stores, or if your brand is in like it's it's um, a lot of you have a lot of black faces in your brand website or in your mm-hmm. your brand, they would be like that's a that's an urban brand, mm-hmm. you know. Um, up to recently, that's cool right now, but. You know, few. I mean, few years ago, back then, it was more like, you know, you struggle to just have these white publications and white models to just shoot with, so that you can just kind of not. You can run away from your, you know, being called um, an um, an urban brand. Mm-hmm. You know, so even sometimes some some rappers and some black people they, they will wear your stuff, and some some brands will not even post it. Wow. But I, I wasn't even, for, for me, I didn't really, I wanted to, if you go even to, on my brand page, aside of what I'm doing right now, it's all, I shoot with black face models, you know, um, and I have a lot of white clientele. It, it isn't, it, it's not affecting one or the other. But from the onset, what I wanted to do is like, okay, I know how to construct these clothes, right? Back home, for the most part, that's all you have to know in order to make a living and just do what you do. Right. Over here, now there's a system, there's a structure of how this is, how this is giant fashion business work, you know? And that's what my folks actually wanted me to go to school for, you know? Um, but I just wanted to just do it on my own. So when I got back to fashion five years ago, it was more like, okay, even when I was doing exporting and importing back home and making really actual you know, living off of that, um, fashion always comes back into my mind. Like, mm-hmm. yo, it always comes back. So I always had a sewing room in my house. 
I would make my own clothes, but people were like, yo, I love that. But I, I wouldn't make it because I'm like, I don't have the time. I'm doing all these other things right. because I'm, I'm not thinking that I don't want to put all my eggs in this fashion basket in this, in this place. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know, certain things will just, just pan out or would just pan out now. And when you left back home, it seems like you have double personality. You have to be successful there too, even if you live here. So you really got to get your house going on over there. You got to send people money. You got to take care of people. Mm-hmm. As an African immigrant, this is, a, this is another struggle you have to go through on top of, you know, on top of just having to be successful over here as well. Right. And living in Los Angeles too doesn't help you because, of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly how it's, how, how expensive the city is. Yeah. So this past four, when I looked at all these things, I've always made these clothes for myself, never made it for other people. And I just took those clothes and made a collection out of it and just shot it and just put it out into the world and just see what was going to come back to me. Okay. Respond was great. From right from the onset, Chris Brown was like, yo, I, I wear this, I wear that. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> a stylist good friend of mine, Ugo, I'm pretty sure, I mean, some people know, was just like, yo, you know, I style, I style Chris. I love these pieces. Let me put it on him. It ended up being on the cover of a magazine. And, and then, you know, the brand started to gain traction. So I made all these beautiful pieces for myself. Um, now I'm like, okay, let me just find a way to manufacture. How am I going to sell this thing, you know, into this, into this climate, you know? Um, so I got into manufacturing. I went to a sample shop in LA. Um, I saw them all the pieces. I was just like, how much will it take for you to just make these samples for me, you know? And they give me the amount, and I came back. I remember when I went to Coachella, came back, and the samples were just terrible, you know? And I had to go in there myself after paying them, just fixing all the samples myself. Mm-hmm. And then now we were just, like, shopping um, shopping for, you know, place where I can... Um, I had all this interest even from my samples, lookbooks and line sheets, you know? Right. Um, but manufacturing those was, was a problem. You know, so that's how I actually was like, whatever they're doing in that shop that I just paid all this money, I could do myself. So that's when I just kind of set up a, a, a small manufacturing joint so that I can control my timeline. But as far as like, you know, having people open doors here, it was, I don't know, like the stuff that I was pitching was, was going through. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know if I missed, missed opportunity because, I mean, because somebody was looking at my work and could have made that call and did this. That you can never tell from the outside. But from the things that I was like pitching myself and going into, there wasn't that much resistance to just, to just push through it. You know, if that makes sense, you know. Uh, it, it does, it does. But um, for Bob, with your kids now, this generation, because they, they're in the information age, um, for me, I always knew that even in high school as a, I guess the top flight athlete or whatever you want to call it, I was always interested in producing content and who the executive producer was, but I didn't know the process. Now these kids can Google it, but what are you saying with your generation of kids who, I mean, we hear, we hear Talisha, we hear Bart, we hear Baba. What do you, what are you seeing the difference with as far as your kids at the high school level is the internet helping them to find out more about our stylists, our models, our, our um, clothing line owners, our, our Bart Coopers, our visual artists? What are you seeing right now with them? But 
Some kids, I see them utilizing the power of the inter- internet. But to be honest, mm-hmm. the one thing I, I know about this generation, and I'm going to censor it, is there used to be a box. Mm-hmm. This generation has taken that box, opened it up, got some lighter fluid, put it on it, got some matches or, or a lighter, lit the box on fire, and after it goes to the ashes, then they figure out a way how to get rid of that. This generation don't care. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are starting their own. They are literally creating what they want to create. Mm-hmm. Now, half of that it's like it's it's awesome. That's something that we wish we had in the nineties with the music game. Right. However, the only drawback of that is, for the most part, it doesn't force them to do their homework or to pay their, to pay the necessary dues to keep it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was gonna ask. Right. I haven't been around a lot of people like younger kids, but I want to start something back home because a lot of the girls, because there's a lot of sports camps, right? There's a lot of pro athletes from my hometown and it's all about sports. Like we're talking about right now, but um, the the thing that I kind of get is that they don't think about the road to it. Like the long, the work there, they just see the end thing, the money, the the stardom, the thing, like I was listening to probably like, you're so fucking talented. Why would you stop making clothes? What happened on the in-between? Life happened in-between. He, I, I'm going off of instinct. You yes. got And so yes. a job and then the, the urge, call, they don't, they don't hear the in-between, right? right, right. I'm always like, was it more organic for us because we didn't have the speed that we didn't have the internet? And- no, I think buff. I mean, just uh, I, wanted you, to, I wanted to add to that, Bub. Um, I like what you said. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I like what you said about that because I look at it same thing in the art world. Um, when, um, you know, I speak to certain schools and stuff like that and seeing, you know, what we had, you know, I had the hunger. And like you said, in our times, we had to search. Like I, I was in the bookstores. Mm-hmm. I was in the Barnes and Nobles. Like we didn't have selfies. We didn't have on um, um, phones. So like I had to literally open up a book in the latest illustration or whatever and try to sketch it real quick <laughs> to take right. it home and study that. Right. Now yeah. they have so much option screenshot that, yeah, they can screenshot it, but they have so much option that it makes them sort of forget the print, the, 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 I tell, I say the formulas of the field, you know, like the, 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 like, like, like Bubba said, the, the school part, understanding the business, the structure of it yeah. is what they lack. So like a lot of them are like self-taught artists, but it's like when I look at it and critique it, because in schools and um, when you're coming up, you're learning how to critique a work. You know lighting, you know um, anatomy, you know positions and pose. You're learning all these things, where you want the shadow, how to capture emotions and stuff like that. Learning these fundamentals. Now, you can have the, the natural skill, which can take you so far. But when you have the fundamentals, you can be able to create a hit over and over again right. without Micro- shooting in the dark. Microwavable yeah. success. Yeah. So like they don't have they don't have that structure of how to do it or why how they came uh, derived to it because they're not learning the, the 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 path or the patterns or the structure of it, which I was thankful for. I came under that. You know what I'm saying? So I know when I want to create a mood, I know about color theory. So like if you're looking at a, a piece from mine. I know if I want to make 
the viewer sad. I want if I want to make them happy. Wow. If I want to make them whatever, just yep. off of the colors. Colors, oh, yep. To set the mood, so I know color theory. You know, mm-hmm. and those are the things wow. that I, I encourage them to learn. I was like, go back and learn the rules. And then break them after you learn the rules. Then you can have fun and, and right. break it and, and enjoy and right. stuff like and that. And to, to your point, important. for me, shout out to the NFLPA. I was able to win what's called a Gene Upshaw grant to attend UCLA TV and film um, extension program. Because, and, and Bob knows, he, he knows our production partner, Rico Aluse. Me and Rico, I just like you said, uh, Bart, self-taught. Man, I produced three short films, a web series, um, and we, me and Bub and Rico produced a documentary. I lied to you not. I hate to say this for lack of a better term. I really didn't know what I was doing. It was just opening up a book and doing it. Now people may say, but why are you going back to school? I didn't know how to package it and monetize it, sell it, and then keep flipping it over and over again. And to um, Talisha's point, um, some of the younger generation, I've had guys, yo, you need to do this. You need to do that. But you need to do that. They don't even know, like, you don't have the longevity of, shall I say, a Tyler Perry, a Will Packer, uh, a Scorsese, mm-hmm. a, um, um, a uh, Antoine Fuqua. You don't know, mm-hmm. but they're just seeing Issa Rae blowing up. And I just took Issa's master class. I said, whoa, it took her 10 years to figure this out. And some deals didn't go her way and blah, 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 blah. So to your point, I even had people in L.A. who think I should be up there with the other multi-hyphenated artists now who are standing tall, but I'm like, whoa, I had to go back to school after mm-hmm. producing some good body of work. Yeah. And I, yeah. I noticed that the younger actors just think Issa Rae's doing it. Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing that? So I guess to our um, people listening, for every LeBron James, Michael Jordan, there's about 10,000 hours, what, a week or something like that in the gym in the rehab, in the film room, and especially, and I hate to use this as a crutch, but that's why we're having this platform for people who think, why are you guys still pushing for equality? Why is Cap kneeling? Why is LeBron? Why don't you just shut up and do your artwork, do your styling, do your modeling, do your coaching? Shut up, Jarrell, you're set. This is what we're talking about. We have to go around the mountain, through the mountain, under the mountain, just to get half as much. And then when you get there, a lot of us, um, like you said, Bub and uh, Bart, for us in the inner city, the art program ain't there. The shop program ain't there. The, 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 the checks and balances ain't there. So now you think you've made it, but now you got a whole nother level to go to that our younger people aren't realizing. Even athletes transitioning into this who want to be actors and produce and athletes who want to be rappers don't realize how long Meek Mill spends in that booth or how long Bub you spent in that booth. Bruh, I'm, I'm going on... Bro, I've been doing music since 1990. Oh, I'm sorry, um, Talisha, what did you say? I'm saying even in the fashion world, these girls or even guys on social media with modeling, right? Mm-hmm. When I do when I do a photo shoot and the and the producer or you know whoever is the head of fashion in for whatever I'm shooting for it's like wow you shoot that so fast and I'm like because I know the difference between catalog and e-commerce and high fashion and these mm-hmm. girls don't know that because they're taking a million pictures in their cameras at home and they're just get you know and it's all airbrushed they don't know anything about angles the feel of something when I put yeah. on a how I should hold my hands and mm. I can 
you know, yeah. this lady... And even understanding the brand that you work with and the aesthetics and everything. You need to know the difference between being in L.A. and New York. I'm right. coming from New York exactly. with a book that was like killer. tears, And I'll come to L.A. and they take every tear sheet out because they're like, this is not my market. I lived in New, um, Africa for two, three months. And they take every tear out because every market is different. And I learned that along the way, but these girls online, like I'm a model and they put it and it's, it's just like, it's, that's not all it is. You need to know a brand. You need to know when I go to an audition for Ross, let me talk about, I go to auditions in the same day where I'll go for something that's urban, or I might be a mother and a young girl in the same day. I go for Ross and I have a certain feel and I wear a certain, you know, um, outfit for it and have like all of these things. It's a, it's, it's, it's this art form to it. And, and people are just saying, oh, I got a cute face and I'm just going to go in. And it's no, it's not. So when you go and you get praise for it, then you also realize how many people are just flying by the whim of it. Man. They faces and they see them on Instagram and they doing it for three fifty and they just right. lowballing yourself. You talk about get your $50 for your first artwork. These mm-hmm. girls are yeah. lowballing themselves because they don't understand what using your likeness means. You, right? Right your likeness and why somebody should pay you $1,200 for a regional campaign and $3,000 for, a, you know, an international campaign. And I'll just do a five fifty because they, no, they're using your name and likeness and they're signing it. They have no idea. So <clears throat> the form of it, the art form of it, the actual intellectual part that knows the difference between like right. low fashion, whatever commercial, everything. They just, it's, let, it, let me tell you something from the sports world to this world, I had to learn. And Bub knows this. A lot of our athletes don't know this because maybe our viewers are athletes. Where does your skill set fit at in the marketplace? You may say as an athlete, what are you talking about? Guess what? As an actor, where does your skill set fit at in the marketplace? Bub knows for people who are sports ignorant, we have many sports fans listening to this. You wonder why quarterbacks don't work out with this next team or a linebacker doesn't work out with this team or a point guard doesn't work out with that team. Hockey, baseball, what have you. Professional sports and collegiate sports is a system situation. If your skill set doesn't fit into that system, you might have made the wrong decision. I'm using an example. With the San Diego Chargers, I fit into the special team system. For people who know football, our listeners, I fit into kickoff team, punt team. I fit into the special team coaches system, but I didn't fit into the defensive system. I got traded to Chicago. I was balling. Lit. I was lit because I was a, was called, a, I fit into that Tampa 2 system, corner safety, how you want. I can do this with my eyes closed. And I'm sure um, Bart has those examples too with, you call, um, you got, you have your, excuse me, you have your abstracts, you have your fine art, you have to this, you have to do that. I know yeah. Bart, you probably have artists that don't know where the heck they fit into. I'm sure Bob, they don't know. Know, right, you have youngins who don't know where, where do you fit at in the marketplace? Talisha, I'm sure you see young models and um, fashion gurus and girls that dress up. People don't know, and even in the real world, to our listeners, you criticize these actors, you criticize these athletes, you criticize, uh, I use this word, this term loosely, politicians um, <laughs> for, for, doing, for doing certain things. Certain people just don't fit into a system, and you have to know where your image and likeness and skill set fit in at in a marketplace. So before you go criticizing a coach for not winning a national championship every year, or a coach for being fired, Oh, don't get me into the Eagles, Doug Peterson. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> it, it, the, the system, people don't understand. Is the, we do for that in the marketplace. You can't, just, you can't just flick a switch and say I'm Basquiat. 
oh, I'm 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 Ray Lewis. I'm Naomi Campbell. I'm, I'm Dr. Now. Dre. I'm Dr. Dre. Bruh, <laughs> bruh. I was gonna tell y'all a fun fact. I've been doing music. Okay, since about I'm saying when I realized I like playing piano about what like eight years old, seven, and I officially started making beats in about two thousand. In about uh, I'm sorry, 1990. Right. I was about 13 years old. I used to make beats on a little SK-1 keyboard, and I ain't going to begin to tell you all the stuff I went through just to get, <laughs> to get a four-second loop on this keyboard that only you could only loop like two, three seconds. I used to speed the record up as fast as I could, sample, and then slow it down, and trigger the sample. But anyway, started making beats in 1990. Do y'all want to know what my first official single release was? on, um, what was the label? Uh, Rockefeller Records, first single. Do you want to know what year it was when I finally got my first single, how long it took me and to find my niche and where I fit in? From 1990, 2001. Wow. Beanie Seagulls think it's a game that had young Chris from the Young Guns, Beanie Siegel, Jay-Z was on the song. Wow. They had a video for it. It was a second single after this, his uh, first single, and it was on the album. The reason. Mm-hmm. But back then I went by Carl, uh, uh, Bub the producer, Patrick. That was my name, Bub the producer. And Duh was D-A. I was just whatever. I was young. That's That was my name. But anyway, it took me that long to really figure out what I was good at mm-hmm. and how to deliver it in my marketplace for music. And guess what? Then I thought I figured it out, but I didn't even have half of that because I ended up doing more R&B records than anything. Mm-hmm. Once I got with right. Teddy Riley when I moved to Cali, then I started realizing that I'm more of a versatile, more so R&B slash, you know, songwriter, vocal producer. And I did, some, I did a record with Jasmine Sullivan and Glenn Lewis and a lot of other people, Sharissa. So it really took me years. You talk, that was 11 years that it took me to really figure out where I needed to be at. And then that's when the ball started rolling. So it takes time to really figure out, like, this is a real yeah, serious right. thing. And, to, and, and back to uh, Talisha's point, for me, transitioning now from sports into acting, I just, this past year, I've had the best agency, the best management, the best lawyer, the best everything. But you know what happened? Back to my lineage. I can't wait to find out where I'm from. Um, Seriously. But seriously, all due respect, Baba and Bart, seriously. Yeah. I started to walk into these offices. I would walk into many offices and, okay, we got three of you. Like Talisha said, we got two of you. We got this, we got that. Guess what? I had to wait for Idris Elba to blow up. I had to wait for Mahershala Ali to do his thing. Mm-hmm. I had to wait for people like Jiman Hansu to be appreciated for his work. Because mm-hmm. um, it was only one Jiman Hansu, you think about it. He was, you know, I had to wait for, you could say, uh, well, Wesley Snipes was coming back, but, you know, Wesley Snipes and Jiman Hansu kind of. And then the ultimate thing that happened for me to help my career indirectly was Black Panther. Now when I walk into the office, oh, snap, he's marketable. And I, I would ask the um, people don't know, I would ask the agencies, do you need a monologue? Because that's what they usually need to see if you can even act. Even though I have a body of work and things they can see, they usually want to see it up front. And I said, uh, we, don't, we don't need to see anything. No. 
That wasn't happening for wow. Black Panther. I promise you. But because of Mahershala now playing Blade and because of Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, and because of Idris and because of Black Panther, now my look is marketable. Now I fit in more into the market space. But to your point, Bub, I walked out of football in 2008. We're just getting to this point. That I think I just got to that point in 2019, 20-ish. Let me play devil's advocate. Go ahead. Do you think we're just getting to that point, or is that ball coming back around to back when Jim Brown? Oh, wow. Our black athlete, hero athletes back in the day, Jim Brown. The actors, yep. Uh, uh, Carl Weathers. Um, Apollo Creed, y'all on Apollo yeah. Creed on Rocky. Now, um, back then, Creed. a lot of those black actors were ex-football players. You're correct. There was a time, but I mean, it was mostly in black exploitation movies, to be honest. Jim Brown refused to do. Right. But I mean, there was a time, I'm just playing devil's advocate. You're correct. Did we get away from it or is it just happening is what I want to know. I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's coming back around, but let's go into this. Let's go into what's going on now in everyone's career. So we got to do ladies first. Talisha, you got a lot going on. Tell us about your current clothing line because I find it interesting because athletes have to transition, but so do models have to transition. Um, so tell us about your clothing line and your latest venture. Well, I, I, I call it, it's an online boutique. It's not a clothing line because, you know. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> um, so what I've said is, you know, it, with modeling, there is a transition that happens, right? Mm. And I, my dream is to be a host. I like acting, but I'm a talker and funny and I like to talk, but I knew a transition had to happen, but fashion is, is in me. I love it. What I found is that this new social Insta thing that happens, we're so busy trying to buy clothes and post them and tag. Why can't I do that for my own brand? Right. Mm-hmm. Why am I giving money away to some, mm-hmm. right. And, and it happened. And I don't, I think that quarantine sparked it for me because I when it happened it was like what am I gonna do I got real estate but you have to have money I'm a new real estate agent so you have to still have money to produce that real estate empire right people don't understand it like you got your license sell a house no you have to market yourself especially in LA it's high here so fashion is there it's something I've invested in so I developed um an online boutique I got things that I love things that I believe in why not sell your own brand. People ask me, where do you get that? And they're, and I'm a high low. I, I, I have interest in designer things, but I also feel like you don't have to spend a lot to look good. So, mm-hmm. um, I took that, that mindset and, and, and developed an online boutique for us. So it's all that, all that style. All I'm is, on it now. Right. Um, all is my store. You mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a small boutique. I just, I literally launched on the first. Um, I haven't done my official launch. I'm hoping to do that on the 22nd. Um, but I'm, I'm up there. I'm, I have my SEOs and my tech people behind me. Um, I'm doing it from the smart way, not just the, the face way. You know, you got to get, that's the other thing, the business part of it. You got to get behind people's saying, just as post this picture no you got to have the seo the tech people behind you pushing you so within two weeks my website is at the top of google for all uh, that's hey. fashion hey. highly 
into that part of it because you can post pretty pictures all damn day, right? But you're competing with fashion and so. So I do have my new line. My dream is to be on Home Shopping Network. People think that's corny as hell, but you can sell a season's worth of fashion. Right. Yeah. Let me just tell you, this watercolor print mesh bodysuit. St. Petersburg, you know what I'm saying? St. Petersburg, I want to go home and sell on Home Shopping Network. So um, I just I just want to teach people that, especially women, mm-hmm. where I come from, it's, it's sad because a lot of girls think stripper, mm. um, work at Publix, which is a grocery store, or be a nurse. And, um, and even with myself, I'm like, yeah, I'm in a, the business of beauty, but I can use my brain to still, you know, expand what I've already done. So, um, I'm trying to even teach myself that because you, I got into this place, like I don't have a degree. I need to go to school. And, you know, we've talked about the drill. I want to, I want to produce as well, you know, and Mm. as well for girls, age is a big thing. Age is such a big thing. And we feel women before men feel like it's over at a certain, it's over 30. So even at my age, I'm trying to like expand and grow. So always my new baby and I'm really proud of it. And um, I'm turning my house into a a factory, (laughs) you know, clothes and distribution. But yeah, I've been working really hard at it for a month. I'm I'm actually really proud of myself for um, where I've got it at in a month. I overdrived. Um, before the new year. See. see, models no business. It's not regarding this pretty faces, darn it. <laughs> okay. More, more than an athlete and more than a model. But um, Bart Cooper, tell us what you have going on now because you gave me a history lesson on art um, when we initially talked. That was, <laughs> God, you had me Googling and get, because you helped to inspire also the scene. There's a scripted scene that's read before this with actors, man. And they were blown away by the some of the facts and the things of that nature because like you said, like we said, we're not exposed to this history of visual arts because Sports Center shows us this. Hip hop, I grew up in the Source magazine, they show us that. But now when you come with your knowledge, it's like, wow. So tell us what you have going on right now. Yeah. So one of the, well, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been strongly dabbling in the contemporary art, fine art world right now. So, you know, coming from a commercial background, I have, um, you know, some art that's for commercial on the commercial level, where it's like affordable, you know, duplicates and, and, and canvas prints and stuff like that. So I have a business that's set up and geared for those markets to be able to hit the range of someone who, who wants to buy a, you know, move into their new place and they need some nice art on the wall to go with their aesthetics, you know, anything from $88 to $500, it can go from there. And then, you know, and that's like my duplicates and, 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 and canvas prints and stuff like that. So that's my canvas print company and that's called MD art. Now transition over to the contemporary fine art world. One of the things that I try to tell artists is um, one of the things that self-taught artists or just anybody, it's like, what's the definition of fine art? Like, what's your personal definition of fine art? And it's the funny thing that artists don't even know that. Like when they say they're like, oh, you know, the art that's in the museums or galleries or anything like that. And I tell them, Google it. Just Google what it means. And simply it says here, creative art, especially visual art, whose products are to appreciate primarily or solely for their imagination, aesthetic, and intellectual content. So the main importance of fine art is something that can stimulate and have intellectual content, something Mm. that I can look at that has a story and a message. And that's where I'm dabbling into the fine art world. And that's why I start to tell people, 
that's why this stuff costs so much. You know what I'm saying? Because it has a story to it. So it's, it's the aesthetics, the creation of the piece is strong, but it has to speak to the audience. It has to have a staying power to where when you look at it, 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 it does something. And one of the main things is I want to stimulate people and I want to provoke thought, but then I want to encourage and empower people with my work. So like those are the messages that I put into my piece. So now you can see where the value of why someone will want to pay what they pay for my price versus, okay, let's say if I paint a picture of LeBron James, okay, someone, some artist that's just a self-taught or whatever, they might just want to paint a picture of him dunking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, I'm just going to paint a picture of LeBron James dunking. It's going to have the graphics. It's going to look really realistic. It's going to be all these things. But at the end of the day, it's equivalent to a poster. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because it's just him dunking. Now, if I was to create that in a fine art format, let me paint a picture. Let's let's focus more on the, the emotions of LeBron James. Let's focus on the story of LeBron James. Maybe I need to put some of his messages, his quotes in the back or something like that. Let me give it some sort of story where when you look at this and be like, that's the essence of, I'm not just seeing a LeBron James there. I'm seeing all the other things that comes wow. with him, the components of him. You know what I'm saying? So when you look at it, you could be like, okay, now that is fine art because there's a message there. You know what I'm saying? It's not just a guy dunking a ball. Wow. Like this is LeBron James. Like, you know, he, maybe if I put schools there where he's building schools or he's dunking and he's bringing like a whole tribe with them, you know what I'm saying? Like now we're building something that has that staying power. So basically that's what I've been doing. And, um, I've created three different um, bodies of work. My first body with work was called the purple series. That's mm-hmm. one of the pieces behind me right there. So the purple series is equivalent to, you know, just taking people that inspire me, um, whether it be from celebrities to actors, to musicians, to a lot of athletes in there, you know, so that's John Michelle Basquiat. So, you know, the, the, the topic of that is being like, you know, I took them and it inspires me. The color splashes are representing, you know, something, the, the purple, their faces being dyed purple is representing something. Cause I study where purple comes from. And you're from the fashion industry, uh, um, Baba. So like the fat purple, purple is royalty. Purple is rich. And like, it comes from a dye. It comes from a dye from a snail back in the day that, and it was worth more than gold to be able to dye a a garment purple. Purple. Only Kings and Queens and royalty had those because it was powerful. So let me make their faces purple. You get what I'm trying to say? Let me make their faces purple. And I know the snail that it comes from. So like that's, a story that's saying that I feel like these people are one of a kind. They're unique. They're rich. They're full of all these things. And there's only one individual, like there's no duplicates of these people. The colors in the background, the splatters is, and and, and that's with the color theory playing, like the splatters are different from all the other pictures and how it falls on. It's playing with the colors of this person leaving their mark in the world and becoming a more colorful world. You know what I'm saying? Like coming into the darkness and making a colorful world and, and then stepping back into wherever they go, wherever it be from back into the essence of, you know, their life. Um, but they're changing the world because they're making the world a, a lot more colorful. So like, that's the message of the purple series. And then it has like, you know, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's about 32, 32 different people, characters that I liked and inspirational, something that I took from their the page from their life and applied it to my life. You know what I'm saying? Then I created the hero series. 
the hero series is, 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 is with women, you know? So now I'm like, let me focus on women. Let's, let's focus on some of my favorite topics, history, comic books. Like I said before, those were some of the things that encouraged me. So I was like, let me empower women. Let me, let me, let me, let me look at some black um, women of color and see some of the ones that was historical. Let me take a comic book because I'm into comic books and let me merge that. So I have regular women like Harriet Tubman wearing the Superman t-shirt with the, with the S on her chest. Yes. Yeah, and then, um, I got, you know, Nina Simone with Wonder Woman, you know, with Wonder Ooh. Woman. And then you got like, um, Oprah with Captain America, you know what I'm saying? Ooh. Like she's wearing like the logo and stuff like that. Now it goes deeper when you start breaking this conversation together. Now when mm-hmm. 10 of those women combined together, it forms like the Avengers, you know what oh, I'm saying? So I feel like they're together, you know what I'm saying? So it forms the Avengers. I have um, Winnie Mandela. She's Black Panther. So like hey. all these women stood for justice. You get what I'm trying to say? All of them stood for justice, equality, and everything that they fought for. And they faced so much opposition in their life. But it's funny how these American women, the Black American women, were on this continent and then you have Winnie Mandela over there in South Africa mm. fighting for the same thing. And they both are all connected. You know, you got Sojourner Truth, you got Rosa Parks, who is Iron Man, you know, unmovable, unstoppable. So then I had to study the characters, the comic book characters. So it's not like, oh, let me just make a character and put it on the T-shirt. Their superpowers have to actually match the real person's superpower. So you got Harriet Tubman, who's Superman. She saved people. She stood for justice. She did those things. You know what I'm saying? She, she, wow. she, 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 um, she, she, that was her goal to save, to be a savior in a sense. You know what I'm saying? That's what Superman did. You know, um, you have Oprah. Oprah has Captain America. And th- that's one of the ones out of the group that everybody kind of like, eh, you know, take Oprah. They have mixed messages, but I'm like, right. Oprah was a businesswoman, you can't take Oprah's success from her. Like what she accomplished, where she came from. She literally came from the mud True to indeed. become who she is today. You know what I'm saying? Not only that, Oprah stands for justice. Oprah wears the the the, the flag. And it's like a, it's a double entendre in the sense of where like, you can either love it or you can hate it just like America, but. Yeah, yeah, you gotta give her her flowers. Oprah, you know you gotta give her flowers. You, you still, you yeah, you still, you still gotta give it to her. But then like Oprah's always, correct. You know what I'm saying? She stands for it. She's not going to like waver just based off of the color of who she is. She's still just going to stand for what's right. You know what I'm saying? So you can dabble in that. Um, so like each one of these characters, there's a message that speaks to, you know, the taking the superhero and then putting the, you know, the, the, the actual people. So it's called my heroes actually have real superpowers. That's the title of the, the body of work. Ooh. My heroes actually have real superpowers. So like it's breaking down, like, look, these are the people, this is the thing we can talk about. And it was also to educate younger kids in the, in the youth. So like, um, as of this year, because of the pandemic, you know, stuff has slowed down, but I'm actually supposed to have a show in the Lehigh Valley where it's going to be in 150 schools. There's going to be a curriculum created for the heroes curriculum but- to educate, to educate children in the schools about these heroes, you know what I'm saying? Where they're going to oh, create yeah. their own like superheroes. This. You know what I'm saying? So that's where that body of work transitions. You know what I'm saying? So it's beyond the fact of like just the art. You know what I'm saying? There's a message there. There's a history there. There's value there. And this is something that I take into account that 
after I'm gone, my art is always going to outlive me. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to represent our people as black people in the, the most excellence way, the most um, prestigious way, but most of all in a historical context where they can be like, this guy did this in this time frame. You know what I'm saying? And I did it the way I wanted to do it. So the, the, the body of work that I'm working on right now, pr- presently working on, is right. called DNA. So that, that ties into what you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, Daryl. Like, so DNA. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting. waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where, <laughs> yeah. So this is where now I want to tie it in and connect and connect people to their ancestors, to their, their tradition, to their, their um, take you back into nature, take you back into tribalism and stuff like that, where you, where you come from. And like we started the, the show where it was like, um, same thing. It's no coincidence why you do some of the things you do. Because if you study your past and study your people from your past and what mm-hmm. tribe you come from, you'll probably see like, you know, you got kids now with dreads, with colorful dreads. There's a tribe that does that. You know what I'm saying? In Africa. Wow. Yeah. You got jewelry. Tribal, um, there's tribes and that jewelry is a major thing. That's Man, dingo. Yes. <laughs> that's that's your Uh-oh, you know, Bob about that's... to bring up. Oh, he about to... oh, oh man. Uh, this was oh. like this I wanted you guys to share this about what she was talking about. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking of. As soon as Our he said that, that's what I was thinking see of. It, but these are these are um old um I guess um like I'm sorry, present uh pictures of tribes in Africa in which yes. you can see these kids. Yeah, I swear that's what I thought about. This is recommended. This is a great book right here. African ceremonies. I gotta get I gotta get that. I gotta get that. Oh my God, I'm getting that book because I'm this book this right is now. crazy. Wow. I'm getting that book right now. So, so Bart, can you get it on Amazon? All crazy stuff. I'm gonna today. order it because I'm gonna find out where I'm so, from. So so um so oh, go, Tara, ahead, Bart, go ahead. Sorry to um no, you so go, I'm you tying go. this in, but one of the things with this body of work is I'm using children because I want to take people back. I want you to go back to your youth, you know what I'm saying, I, um, to tell the story. So, like, I'm giving youthful kids that I'm using and I'm doing photo shoots of, their, um, of them posing, but then I'm putting the African attire in. So we're going to delve into why your face, why you paint your face, why you wear the jewelry and the customs that you wear, why you do your hair the way you wear um, I got masks, so we're going to talk about masks. Mask is like, you know, it's a celebratory mm-hmm. thing. It's a ceremonial thing. The importance of masks, transitioning from child to adulthood is understanding that. And then most of all, when you understand your tribe, you kind of understand your beliefs of like what your tribe b- believed in. Because Africa is a big continent. Oh, God. And there's <laughs> massive tribes. So everybody, just because you're going back to Africa, don't mean this other country in Africa does the same thing this other country mm. does, or this tribe does what they does. So like, like you got to understand that. And when you understand that, you have more of a knowledge of why you do what you do. And it's an importance of that. You know what I'm saying? So that's why. And I want people to like do the DNA test and stuff like that to give them some sort of connection and um, understanding of where they come from and how your ancestors connected and how are we all one. Because at the end of the day, we were all one because we learned from nature. And we, that's how we connected with a higher yeah. source was mm-hmm. from nature and study. That's how we connected with God. You know what I'm saying? So understanding that. And then like all across the board, most tribes, Native Americans, it's all the same things. Why we got the names that we got. Why we're called who we called. It empowers us. It's all prophetic. And then, then you get an understanding of that. And then it empowers you to know who you are. So like that's the whole 
that's where I'm going with the fine art thing. And that's why some wow. of my pieces cost a lot because it's going to be here for hundreds of years. Exactly. And people are going to be talking about know it. Your you words, know? Yes. know your words, King. Know your words, King. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of, Sorry, I was so long-winded. No, you good. You good. Because we got a team in Philly. Bub knows it's the sister program to the organization that raised me. Overbrook Monarchs, uh, the Overbrook Monarchs Pop Warner football team, and their colors, Bart, are purple, gold, and black. I'm gonna have to bring wow. you down to West Philly, Bart. We're gonna have to get you because they have their own um, facilities in West Philly near my neighborhood or in my neighborhood. And man, if when when I can afford you, when I when I'm doing Black Panther two, Black Panther three, <laughs> and when Come I can on, afford, read that check. We know we yeah. know how you roll. <laughs> when I when I can afford Baba's services oh, to, get you, to get you to do a mural or something like that, the monarchs, and that's what their colors are: purple, black, and gold. Cool. I'm gonna probably start crying because those are the that's the sister program to what I'm mm-hmm. gonna feed into. And also one thing before we get to Baba. Bart, when I found out my lineage, let's do an Africa Philly thing with me flying through the air <laughs> and my emotions, and then um, Bub standing over a mountain. Hey, or something. Yo. No. <laughs> <laughs> Your emotions gonna be right here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, last but not least, Baba. Oh my God, I know you're ready. It's crazy on you right now. Baba, what did you er, tell us everything you have going on right now? Name drop, bro. Just name drop. Oh no, we ain't gonna go there. (laughs) I'm gonna give you your flowers, man. I'm gonna give you your flowers. Oh, come on. Um, yeah, right now, you know, um what's what's very important before I go into even what I what I do currently is these kind of conversations are very important, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the the next generation or the younger generation, they need to hear this so that, you know, they don't waste all those years. I remember Bob was talking about, like, Coach was talking about, it took him 11 years for this and that. Right. And it's, it's the same story. Even, you know, um, and even for me, sitting there just having to learn these things, how these things work, where all the cultures, the system is already there. You have the mentorship is there, you know, um, you have the person at this level, at that level, they can make full calls and you in, you know. But for us, we just really had to go on the, you know, really plan the hard way. It takes us takes us years to understand these businesses. And, you know, that leads into what I do now, you know, because I try to push a brand. Mm-hmm. We all know how long it takes to start to brand from scratch for it to pop for, so that you can live off of it. And living in Los Angeles is, doesn't help, like I said. But so when I when I assessed all assess all that, I was just like, okay. So when I when I went to try to manufacture my stuff, what they did that led me into manufacturing was a blessing. Mm. You know, in the first place, I'm like, oh, I wasted twenty grand. Like they they didn't do it right. But it took me it took me going there to realize that. Okay, I'm in this space, and they cannot do the work that I that I that I that I'm asking them to do. And these people are established over here. They're Koreans. They 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 Latino. They over there. They're making a living of it. And the stuff that I know from back home already allow me, it's better than the stuff they're doing over here. So that's when I get into just set up that that manufacturing. And as soon as people knew how busy I was, I mean how good I was, the service that I provided, I could do anything, and I was just super overwhelmed. Like, I was working seven days a week, 
busy, you know, developing other people's brand, like Talisha. Um, if you ever want to get into cut and sew, let me know. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to have a networking thing after this. We call it the cocktail hour. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, that's what I, that's what I develop other people's brand. But then I realized that, okay, money's good here, but my dream is dying. My dream is really just have my brand, just push it, push that brand. Um, so I get out of that manufacturing and get back to studio self, like, Let's create the samples. Let's do this. So, so I just realized that okay, this is gonna take a minute for a while. Mm. So, what what are the skills that are in me that I can monetize today? That I can make money off of today, you know. So that included like doing custom work, having you know all the athletes and entertainers. I just realized I got pushed into that because I had a lot of stylists coming to me and just said, oh make this for, you know, Beyonce's dancers or make this for Kendrick Lamar. I mean, make this pants for Kendrick, make this, so those are one-off. So my brand is not selling, but I'm, I'm able to live off of whatever custom work that's coming into my studio. So that led me into just like working with, you know, different stylists all over and, and then being in the presence of all these celebrities that just makes it very easy for me to actually sell my brand. So you couldn't go, I'm not going directly to sell it to them because if you go in and like, okay, buy my brand, it's like, okay, that's going to take time. But if you go in as a tailor, wear your clothes, I'm going to make them think good. So, so it's one way for me to show you what I can do. Keep your Versace suit, right? Buy from the store, keep it, bring it, but I'm going to make it look good. So that when you wear it, it's out there. It's the Oscars. You have 40 dresses. Pick mm -hmm. one. You know, I can go in there and make it look even more amazing because that's what people do. Like the dresses, when they come from these designers, they're not, they don't fit these celebrities before they go on the red carpet. So, so they need people like myself, you know, that understand that, you know, this dress is here. If you want, if I wanted to, I can dismantle it and create it again. So that's what they need me for some of these dresses. So that's how I got into all these stylists eventually got with, with Colin Carter, um, who's the main stylist for, for Cardi. And now, you know, I'm with Cardi, like, whatever. If she has, even if she had to be, put on a bathing suit, I have to be there. So I travel with her and I create whatever looks she needs. And that allowed me, that allows me to put me in a space where the more I get into, when I, the more I'm on set, the more I fall in love with costuming. Mm. Even coming from back home, those the stuff that I learned from back home is allowed me to do to do to do costumes, and I didn't even know these things. The, so that's why it's very important to just teach this or the kids to the, to teach the next generation that find out what your skills are and find a way to and find a way to monetize. How do you do that? Mm. It took me years to understand to understand that part, to understand the skills that I possess and how to even implement it in respective, respective um, industries. And so costume is totally different from fashion, but being with Cardi allows me, if there's a music video, if there's, you know, a shoe with Apple and she doesn't have to wear a dress, you just got to wear some type of a costume. I'm there. I'm there like, okay, let's, how, how do we do it? And it's allowing me, I didn't go to costume design school but the skills that I ran from back home allowed me to design costumes. So I was already a costume designer, <laughs> but I didn't actually know it wow. because, mm -hmm. because I didn't go to school, traditional school that, that, that just like really understand your skill and put it into, into respective areas. 
Mm-hmm. So right now it's just like I do that, you know. Um, I have other tailors under me that I can just send to jobs that I don't even go to, you know. Mm. If somebody's dressing up, they need a suit tailor, you know. I, I can send a tailor. I can hire a tailor. And I, you know, go take care of this client. And on the same day, I can go take care of another client, you know. Right. So that's, at first it was just that, understanding that area and, and pumping that into my brain as well and still keep my keep the brand going. Right. Because you have to have a source of income and, and then, the, you know, invest in the brand to just push it. Right. So the more I'm going on the other side, I'm just loving that other side as well as costume. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe there can be an Oscar in here somewhere. Because when I look at, you know, Black Panther and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I feel like that should have been me. <laughs> no <laughs> shit to Carter. She's amazing. She's the best. Like, you yes. know, OG, she She's is the best. Love me some room. When I look at it, I'm like, okay, my skills will, can take me here. They will take me here in a way. So, um, so right now, mostly... My main, main, main client is Cardi. Like, and she keeps me busy like 24 hours, seven days a week because yes. she is doing a lot. And she's you the lead in a movie now was just announced. Yes, yes. Now you're going to be on set, set. I'll be on set. We just shot something yesterday that's, you know, you guys are going to see very soon. I'm not allowed to say, but you guys very, very excited. I actually woke up. We shot till six in the morning and I came here, had to do a few more work. So I had to wake up to actually do this with, with you guys. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm and I love oh, that shit. Bad, man. man. And, and then, yeah. Time. And then, oh, go ahead. and then, um, yeah. And that, 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 that whole world. And I'm like, so you mean that I can alter this thing and make the same money or even more than making it in my studio? So it's just like those things that you start to understand. Okay, mm-hmm. like it doesn't take much effort to actually make Santa come so, and make that money. It's just more of just like a lifetime of preparation and being able to put yourself in this position to actually lifetime, to actually lifetime of preparation. That, yes. that 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 is that is key. So so, Bob, you want to wrap it up with any more questions? I know you have some. Do you have some fun questions for him? I got a couple fun questions. We gonna start. I'm gonna go clockwise. So I'm gonna start with Bart. Um, let me see. Let me pull them up. Hold on. And guys, you got about 10 minutes, guys. All right. So we're going to roll through this real quick, Bart. <laughs> Favorite food? <laughs> Favorite food? Dang. Um, I'm going to have to go with some um, African food. I'll say um, flour sauce. <laughs> yeah. I okay. That. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you said potato greens because that's like my favorite. Well, it's greens, yeah. So, so it's, it's right favorite. up in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right up in there. Uh huh. Favorite movie? Coming to America or the hey. Five Heartbeats. It's, a two. it's either Five Heartbeats or Coming to America. Hey. You're telling your age. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Favorite destination outside of where you at? Um, Ethiopia. Okay. Now, are you a hard-bottom shoe sneaker <laughs> okay, let's do this. Hard <laughs> bottom shoe, casual uh, sneaker, tennis shoe, or a Chelsea boot man. Nah, I'm a I'm a I'm a tennis shoes man. Like it's always shoes. something flashy. Body sneaker. Comfortable. Okay. Yeah, comfort. Comfort is the key. It's always comfort. Good, good. Like me. And last question: wine, beer, liquor, or water? <laughs> Man, I'll take wine. 
Why? Okay. You got yeah. to all that art. If you're not drinking some Merlot or some Cabernet Sauvignon, like, you might as well yeah, just take your pants and move them into somebody else's house, man. Like, you gotta, you gotta have some red wine with the paint in the back. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can't host a dinner party with that artwork. Yeah. You got a Bosque out on the wall, no red wine, something wrong, man. Or Cooper on the wall man. with no red wine. Exactly, with no red wine. We can't do that. All right, good job. So, Baba. Yes. Favorite food. After hitting all of that. (laughs) Go. What's your favorite food? Favorite food had to be that jollof rice, not from from Senegal and Gambia. That jollof rice. That's my daughter. Jollof rice is good, too. It's good. My oldest daughter. Yes. Yes, yes. Favorite movie. Love Jones. Hey, hey. Jones? Okay. I still haven't found a better hey. movie. Uh, see, you one of them hopeless romantic dudes, yeah. man. And I'm <laughs> mad at you. Wiggle on your right. Is that I, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I ain't mad right? at you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all right? <laughs> I ain't mad at you. <laughs> Love that movie. Uh, favorite, uh, favorite destination or dream destination? It has to be Senegal. There's a little town called Sally. On the water, you should look it up. Senegal, in that outside of the car. It's, I am because I need. Is it water there? Yes, it's water. It's by the water, like like you know. Oh, because we, we we West Africa, we're on the ocean. We're not, any we're place that got a beach, I'm good. Like oh yeah, listen, yeah, listen, love, got to be a beach Sally. nearby. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Uh, same question: casual shoes, a tennis sneaker, um, hard bottom shoe, or like a Chelsea boot. Type of man? What are you, man? I'm I'm more for comfort too, but I wear I wear them all. I'm in fashion, so I. Are you versatile? Yeah, I'm. Oof, I have a lot of shoes. <laughs> okay, I ain't mad at you. All different styles. So, but mostly sneakers. I'm in sneakers mostly. Okay, you know? cool yeah. comfort. And mm-hmm. wine, beer, liquor, or water? Man, I would say liquor and water. Liquor and water. <laughs> that sounds like me in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heavy the on the liquor, little the on the liquor water. water. Dark, dark liquor. Dark liquor, light on the water. Too, you know? Speaking of that, <laughs> uh, we'll, wait, we'll, wait, we'll wait till after we do the last one so we can say what tonight's uh, cast was sponsored by. So moving along. So for the last, okay, so let's start at the top. Favorite food. For me? Yes. Um, well, I'm a cook, so I like a lot of things, but I'm from the South, so we're going to go with soul food. Anything that's fried chicken, cornbread, greens, hey. mac and cheese, couple I'm of years. so hungry listening. Bang. <laughs> oh, man, right in my wheelhouse. Food. So I would say Favorite, soul food, that's a good one. Favorite movie? Um, I'm a, I like movies, too. It's, it's a cross between Interview with a Vampire and Kama Sutra. Oh, wow. Wait, now which one? Now, wait a minute. Are you talking about the one with the two Indian girls with the boy that was like a king? Yes. Yo, that movie is so dope. People don't even... Beautiful movie. It's like, and it's not people, they, oh, it's Kama Sutra. It's like, no, it has nothing. Right, Pip, she talking about back in the Skinamax days. That's when that movie first came out. That's why I know about it. Right, right. I'm telling your age, but... But it's not what people think. It's it's like it's really a love story. It's based on betrayal. Right. It's about the the rawness of. Yeah. It's a dope movie. 
yeah, it's a, it's a nice movie. I, it's I, a dope movie. I've seen those two. Good movie. Favorite destination? I'm the same. Anywhere with a beach and a thong. But I'm um, obsessed with Paris. I have Eiffel Towers all over my house. I have like a little miniature oh, tower. Wow. She's got Eiffel Towers. Yeah, in the house. Your own miniature Eiffel Tower. I'm obsessed with Paris, so I would have to say Paris. That's dope. Okay, so now is it um, a hill? <laughs> a hill, whether it be wedge, stiletto, whatever, boot, uh-huh. or sneaker. Okay. Or, or flats. I uh, know. So I'm 5'10. So I'm going to go with thigh high boots. It's all <laughs> thigh high boots. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So you. So you like Wonder Woman or Catwoman or something then? I have a, like, I like interviewing the vampire, so I have a little... Got you. So who makes the best thigh-high boots that you like so far? Um, well, I wish Christian Louboutins went a little higher, but... Uh, um, probably Versace. Versace. Okay. Y'all got boots. Y'all got expensive taste. Y'all got expensive taste. I thought you was going to say some... That's that expensive taste. I was waiting for you to say some tan butters. Some <laughs> <laughs> butter Tim's back east for That's all we got money for over here. Some butter, psych nothing. All right, last question. Wine, beer, liquor, or water? Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> hey, man, mm. ain't nothing wrong with being refined. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Good job. Good job, y'all. Y'all. So, do y'all want to leave y'all um social media listeners handle. social media handles? I guess we could start in the same order. Uh, Bart, uh, start with you leaving your social media handle so that the listeners can know where to find y'all. We gotta be a little up. quick, guys. Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Instagram, um, b underscore art, and then the number one. That's where you can find me, and then you can find all my other links and websites from there and and my stuff. Uh, to me and Baba. Oh, yes, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Sir, like S I R, Baba, B A B A, John, J A G N E, one word, Sir Baba John. On Instagram and at the website at john.cl, john.co. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Cool. And last but not least, I have two, um, Talisha Bird, that's T A L E S H A B Y R D. And then my clothing line is awe.awe.style. Man, okay. thank you. We have learned so much. We're more than just ball players and rappers and all that other stuff. And that is Creative Career Pathways Unexposed. Peace. Yes, sir. Peace. <laughs>